All right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode talking about the Toronto Raptors, a team, a team inextricably linked with my favorite team, sort of, the Vancouver Grizzlies, now the Memphis Grizzlies. Before we get to that interview, just a couple of notes. If you want some free stickers, send me a DM on Twitter at Fast Break Break. I haven't sent out the last bunch yet, uh, so there's still like maybe five of you out there waiting for stickers. Uh, If you want your iTunes review read on air, you only have a few more days left in the month. We're going to cut that off after October. Uh, so if you want your iTunes review read on air, give us a five-star iTunes review. You can plug anything you want, as long as it's not horribly offensive, and we will read it on air. Obviously, those reviews help us out. And then the biggest way to help us, the way our biggest fans step up, is over at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. There we're doing our pickle challenge our pigskin pick them we got our fantasy leagues no joke the international stack house of pancakes fantasy negative fantasy league for pride and glory is the most exciting uh online fantasy sports i've ever played it is hilarious and very volatile so if all this sounds like something you'd want to be involved in if you want to join our slack chat if you want to get our bonus audio content if you want to get uh, my power rankings which will be going up very soon That is all available to people who contribute money to support the program at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. My guest today is a writer for The Score and covers the Raptors for Raptors Republic and on the Defeated podcast. And he's a first-time guest Mr. William Liu. William, how are you? I'm great, man. Thank you for inviting me to the program. I'm very happy to have you. I, I tried to get you on like for a little preseason look ahead on the Raptors, but I think mm-hmm. you were you were globetrotting. You were across the world somewhere. That's correct. I was uh, I was in Argentina. Um, it was a great trip, and uh, yeah, it was it was nice to just you know completely run away from all responsibilities of covering basketball, especially preseason basketball for like, you know, two, three weeks before, you know, all the stuff got real. What were the biggest things that you actually missed as in what NBA stories broke while you were in Argentina, which you didn't have the chance or opportunity to cover? Honestly, the biggest one uh, was the Katie fake Twitter accounts. (laughs) I mean, that wasn't even really a story. It was just like, it was funny to, like I, I found myself just like scrambling to get to little Wi-Fi hotspots to just try to get my jokes in because that was like an all-time Twitter day in terms of just the investigation and then all the news that came out and um, you know all the jokes that happened. Poor KD, man. I mean, to win, to win Finals MVP and then to look that swaggerless, it's 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 really hard to do. Yeah, he. Uh... I don't know what the term is, put his foot in his mouth or something, but uh, it didn't seem a great look. When you when you were in Argentina, did you run across any like uh, off-cast NBA jerseys or anything? You see any like Rasheed Wallace Hawks jerseys walking around or anything like that? 
Um, no, not really. I, I talked to some of the locals about it too, because I, I figured basketball would be a little bit bigger, because you know Argentina, the national team, has done really well um, for that golden generation. And sort of from what they told me, like basketball is probably like the fifth, sixth most popular sport there. Um, obviously, soccer is the the number one. It's not nothing even comes close to it. But yeah, there was not a lot of basketball being played. I didn't see a lot of basketball courts. I did run. I did accidentally run into the Mano Ginobili um, statue in Buenos Aires, but that was purely by accident. I was going somewhere else, and I was like, "Oh, look, all these statues!" And then one of them was just like was Manu, and I was like, "Ah, oh, that's that's cool. That's that's, in- that's cool. That's incredible. I had no idea there was a Manu statue." Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a bird that kind of pooped on his head, sort of where the bald spot is. It really <laughs> did, you know, complete the picture there. <laughs> I'm actually I'm pretty disappointed you didn't run into any like Andres Nocioni jerseys or anything. I, I I would hope at least someone's still talking about him down there. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. I mean, I talked to like three, four people about basketball, and like it's the like, names consistently mentioned are obviously Manu. He's still very big. Um, and then Fabrizio Alberto, he got yep. he got a lot <laughs> yeah. of shoutouts. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. When you were in Argentina, since we do start normally our shows talking about breakfast, did right. you have any particularly great? breakfasts in argentina um i don't think the culture is like very big on breakfast like they have they just have coffee in the morning uh-huh. like they're very big on going to these little cafes and stuff like that but there just wasn't very much breakfast being served i think part of it is like the um, like their their natural rhythm especially for like weekends when you would go out to have food it's like um you know you stay until like 5 a.m so then when you wake up it's already like around noon and you have lunch yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I didn't, didn't really have a lot of great breakfast. Um, normally, what I would do is just, you know, get a couple of bites to eat um, at the top of my hostel on the roof and just look out the city for a while and then, you know, find a place for lunch, essentially. Lunch was great, though. Lunch lunch was great. Well, what were the treats there? Um, beef. So much beef. I think that's their main export. So they just have, like, every meal is beef. Um, like steak burgers hot dogs stuff like that like everything was beef um and then potatoes like basically steak and potatoes was like every meal but i mean they make great burgers over there too um you know a lot of stuff with eggs on it too but yeah just incredible incredible stuff but nothing really like too wild or out of the ordinary i think their food palette is kind of similar to like americans yeah i mean if you toss an egg on it we can call that breakfast uh, yeah. The, yeah, exactly. You, there you go. All right, well, so since you you cover and you're, you're a fan of, of like a youngish franchise, I'm I'm always mm-hmm. interested in uh when did you become like into the Raptors? Cuz I'm a Grizzlies fan and I wasn't a Grizzlies fan until they came to Memphis. So what's right. what's your history as being a Raptors uh person? Well, first of all, as a Canadian, I have to uh I have to swear at you for stealing the Grizzlies away from Vancouver. Yeah, right. sorry, sorry about that. I mean, you guys have turned into a great franchise. You guys definitely deserve a franchise. I just mean that Vancouver um, should get a franchise back now that the Canadian dollar isn't like 60 cents to American. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of the Raptors, I started following the Raptors around 2004, which I think was the last Vince Carter year. That was the year where Vince Carter was sort of hobbling around. You know, maybe he was injured. Maybe he wasn't really playing hard. He declared that he wouldn't dunk anymore um this whole thing he wanted to get traded and it you know in retrospect he was playing with a really terrible roster like his best teammate at the time was probably like alvin williams so you know vince Carter wanted to get traded um and that was the year i started watching the raptors and they were pretty much terrible 
throughout uh, until very recently when, you know, they've been good. Not great, but good. You know, as a Grizzlies fan, I think you, you know what that feels like. Oh, I, I have a, a very honed appreciation for <laughs> uh, for good, not great. Uh, yeah. What's your opinion of Vince Carter? Because I know it's a testy subject with a lot of Raptors fans. Right. Um, I think sort of from the day one Raptors fans or even the first generation. So like the day one Raptors fans are like the, okay, look, 1995 basketball is coming to Canada. We're going to become bad Raptors fans. So that's the first generation. And then the second generation is sort of like, oh, Vince Carter is like the biggest star in the league for like a year or two after that dunk contest. Um, let me go and watch the Raptors. And that's sort of the second generation that's probably around like 1999, 2000. That's when that, that, that wave started. So that generation is supposed to you like pretty much right now, like 30 or over because that was like 17 years ago now. Um, so I, I just, I'm 24. Like I was really too young to have known the Vince Carter thing. So I didn't really live through that experience. Um, so for me looking at it from the, like almost like an outsider, um, you know, Vince is the biggest star the Raptors ever had the most like culturally relevant star they've ever had. Um, sort of the guy who put Toronto on the map and, consistently you see canadian basketball players saying that um you see current raptors saying that so like to me i my feelings towards vince carter are very very positive um i do remember a couple times when he would come back when he was you know got traded to the new jersey nets and uh he would come back and hit these game winners at one time i think he had like a game-winning reverse alley-oop dunk at the air canada center which was just so heartbreaking but um no, for the most part, my feelings are positive. I know for a lot of people it's negative because he kind of quit on the franchise. But I really do see it from both sides, especially in this era of just like player movement and sort of um, player freedom and stuff like that, like player empowerment. You can see like why Vince Carter wouldn't want to waste his uh, prime seasons playing with like, you know, um, Eric and Alvin Williams and stuff like that. So <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's one of those time heals all wounds sort of. Like my, yeah. my position as a general NBA fan is uh, I, I hated Vince Carter because he, he quit on Toronto. I was like, that's the kind of guy I wouldn't want to have around. I remember for a while he had a like a refrigerator commercial that played all the time, and I don't know if that was just in, here in Nashville. He had a refrigerator commercial where he would say, all refrigerators make a little noise, and my wife loved it. She's like, who's that guy? He's really likable. I'm like, no, you can't like him. He quit on his team. But again, I guess you know, there's the, also the narrative that if it wasn't for Vince Carter, Maybe the Raptors wouldn't be in Toronto. Like, so he saved basketball in Canada, possibly. And he's since grown into this elder statesman, you know, bench player, mentor, where I'm like, right. I guess he's fine now. Like, he has, a, he has a really nice smile. So I think I've, yeah, I guess I've, I've kind of I've softened on him. I was going to say, I mean, he played for your Grizzlies, right? Like, you he guys did. liked him. Uh, well, yes. he was damaged goods. This has already been lost to the annals of time. Three years ago, his first year with the Grizzlies, he was atrocious. And, like, they signed him as, you know, like, their big, let's spend our, our mid-level exception on this guy. He's going to fill the Mike Miller role, but he'll be that secondary playmaker. And he was, all, like, he couldn't run. His ankle was hurt, and he was terrible the first year. His final year on the Grizzlies was actually his best by far, which was last year. So he was good. Again, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I got mixed emotions. He seems friendly. Okay. That's all, that's that's all I can give him. That's fair. <laughs> all right, well, let's move to the Raptors this year. Um Turning the clock back just a couple of weeks ago before the season started, what were your expectations for this team coming into the year? Um, 50 wins, pretty much. Um, I think the floor was pretty much set by the fact that they have two all-stars in 
two all-stars in Lowry and DeRozan, uh, another really solid player in Ibaka, and then a couple of more established guys like Jonas Valanciunas um, coming off the bench and CJ Miles. But, you know, the floor I thought was going to be set around like 40 wins. Like there was no way they're going to win less than 40. Um, a pretty much healthy year, they will probably win like 50, 52. Uh, and with their young guys, um, I know they're not very much, they're not like, there's not a lot of like prospect sheen on these guys because they haven't really played much. I guess the most uh, notable one would be Norman Powell, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, for one of the limited flashes I've seen from them and sort of within the Raptors system, they have performed really well and they've started the year really well. Guys like, you know, DeLon Wright, um, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Jakob Pertle, who are not like, you know, common names by any means, but you know, they're replacing a lot of these older veterans that left. So it was sort of dependent on them. Like if these young guys really pan out, then like the ceiling gets pushed up a little bit more. And maybe the Raptors are in the conversation for, you know, winning the first seed. Although I still think that's kind of crazy. Or if they really fall off and, you know, they can't consistently produce, then the Raptors might be looking at something in like the, you know, the late 40s or something like that. So overall, I had 50 wins for this team. So you thought a shot at the one seed was kind of out of the question because I, I, I tagged the Raptors as maybe one of the better, if you're looking for a long shot bet, I think there was something like 10 to one to have the best record in the East. And I was saying like, that's who I would take, you know, assuming Boston falls off. And obviously this is before the Hayward injury and assuming the Cavs coast, uh, I, I fear the Raptors could be a real good regular season team, but you, you didn't have those, those hopes or expectations. Um, no, not necessarily. No, like I thought Cleveland would be the first seed, uh, and I just thought there's sort of just an overabundance of talent there. I know that all those guys are old, but like you, you know, yeah. their their roster's really deep. Like you look at their bench, it's it was crazy. They were bringing like J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson off the bench for a while, and Dwayne Wade. I mean, he's 35, but you know he could still play. Um, so I thought like, yeah, Cleveland would actually win the top seed. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think with the Raptors, I think they're better than one in 10 odds. I would say that much, but uh, I think a lot of things did have to go right because there's not a lot of um, shooting on the team and there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like there's depth, but it's not like replaceable depth where like if someone goes down, someone can step up and like completely fill that role pretty much other than center center is like very deep for them. But you know, at point guard, um, yeah, shooting guard, basically, like, if Lowry and DeRozan go down, or even if Ibaka goes down for a while, the team is not really built to sort of sustain their success. And so, yeah, that's why I had them around 50. But it's totally possible that they win the first seed. I, I just don't think it's a bit of a long shot. Right. Uh, I think I, I think you wrote this. If not, uh, apologies. Someone else writing about the Raptors wrote this. I, I think you wrote. Fine. I think you wrote something about uh, perhaps there's like a malaise in the Raptors fan base over being that good, not great, over mm-hmm. bumping your head into the Le- LeBron ceiling. Is that something you said, or can, can you expound upon the idea that, like, are Raptors fans a little tired of maybe not being good enough to make the finals and they, they're like, eh, I don't want to win 49 games again? I think it's one of those things where um, it's like growing up. You know, you have to sort of at one point reconcile the idea of what you're going to be in your head and then the reality of life and live, you know, live your life as it is. Um, And that's kind of where it was, right? Like you can't really as a Raptors fan, like hope to beat uh, Cleveland right now, because like no matter what happens in the regular season, whatever, when you come time for the playoffs, there's nothing the Raptors can do against the Cavaliers and they're going to lose. It's it is what it is. They've lost to Cleveland twice in a row now. 
Um, they made the playoffs in four years. They don't really look great in the playoffs, to be honest. But, you know, that that is what it is. So if you're looking at it from a championship or bust scenario, then, yeah, it is kind of disappointing. But then you look at it in terms of the bigger picture of, like, look, the Raptors uh, as a, what, this is, I think, their 23rd year in existence. Um, you know, they're not. They're not really like a historic franchise or anything like that. It's not a team used to success. And this is undeniably the most successful stretch the Raptors have ever had in franchise history. Averaging 51 wins in the last four years, making the playoffs, um, winning division titles for whatever that's worth. They hang banners for that in the Air Canada Center, which is a bit sad. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, there's those two sides. And I think most people are in the off season are more like sort of about what they should be rather than in during the regular season, they appreciate what they are. Um, and so I would say that most Raptors fans are pretty good with the team, you know, as it is, um, there's obviously some factions of the team, of the fan base that want them to be an actual championship contender. But I think most people are fine with it. I think the way I described it was like, it's like the Raptors are the Clippers of the East. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I yeah. think, and again, from my perspective as a Grizzlies fan, I've always been on board with if we're winning 50 games, like we're on the cusp. If we don't have a transcendent top five guy in the NBA, you just have to be on the cusp and just wait to see what happens. I, I'm not I'm not a big believer in let's keep uh, trying to get a lottery ticket, hoping we get one of those you know top five people. Because only, you know, Best case scenario, there's three or four of those in the league. You like so, I, I sympathize with the the Toronto perspective, and I, I personally enjoy uh, as a Grizzlies fan. Like, yeah, we're competitive, we're good, we'll make the playoffs. If something breaks our way, if, if there's an injury or something, we have a chance to maybe make the finals, like the Grizzlies mm-hmm. almost did, maybe maybe once or twice, depending uh, what narratives you can convince yourself of. Um, so, how do you frame success though? Like, so for the, for the Raptors this season specifically, and with an eye on like Lowry and DeRozan being bad in the playoffs the last few years, how, how does this team frame success? Um, that's a really good question about this year. Um, it's a bit nebulous. I think in previous years, it was pretty simple to sort of establish what their goals were. Um, but this year it's, it's a little bit harder to say because look, they've been to the Eastern conference finals, and you know sort of how far they go in the playoffs doesn't necessarily push the needle one way or the other it's pretty much the same you can't beat lebron so it's pretty much dependent on when you face cleveland um so success is a really difficult thing to um peg for this raptors team i would say that a, a, a successful year would be if those young guys continue playing like they are now which um and it's only it's very early in the season but you know we, we these young guys have really come in and, and done a really good job um, Delon, um, Pascal Siakam just had a career high against the Warriors yesterday and the Raptors were up five with a minute 30 left. Siakam had 20 points in that game. Yaka Proto had four, like 14 rebounds, 11 of them offensive in the Warriors game. It was crazy. Pirtle, um, uh, Pirtle opened my eyes watching this game on Wednesday night against the Warriors. I was, I'd never seen Yaka Pirtle do anything like that. And he got, he got every ball. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, he's a really good offensive rebounder. Like he's he's in the right spots and he competes really hard and he's he's long and his motor is good. But um, yeah, I didn't see eleven offensive rebounds coming. But um, yeah, I mean, the Raptors have a lot of nice young pieces, um, and if those guys actually develop and become you know rotation quality quality players, and then I think that's a successful season for them. I think they also want to change the style of play they're doing, which. It's not necessarily changing so much the style of play so much as it is changing the shot sort of mix that they're getting. They're taking a lot less mid-range shots, and they're pretty much 
like, you know, modernizing the offense, taking a lot of threes, taking a lot of layups and free throws. And the Raptors are already really good at taking layups and, and free throws. They're always great against the paint. But they weren't really shooting a lot of threes. They were shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers. Um, and so if they can successfully implement that system and sort of get a little bit more assists, get a little bit more threes, then that will be a good success for the team as well. But if you look at the roster right now, there's not a lot of shooting on the team. So there's a lot of nights like last night against the Warriors where they shoot like 8 of 34 from three. So with uh, with Pirtle coming in and looking so good uh, against mm-hmm. the Warriors, it seems like every year whoever comes in for Jonas Valanciunas does mm-hmm. really well. Is that just a, a random occurrence? Like, or we have an argument on our, on our show uh, between uh-huh. me and my, my co-host John. He hates Jonas Valanciunas, and based on Twitter, it seems like Raptors fans are never that crazy about Jonas Valanciunas. So, is is this backup quarterback syndrome where like the backup center who comes in always looks a little better? Uh, explain to me more what's going on w- with the center position in Toronto. Um, okay. Well, I mean, first off, in, for the Raptors, like, there is a, a small faction of the fan base. Maybe not even small. I think um, it's a significant portion of the fan base that really does like Jonas, really wants him to succeed. You know, they credited him for stepping up in the 2016 playoffs. Um, he had a great series against Indiana, then a great start against Miami before he got hurt. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Jonas is also a player that they put a lot of hopes in. Like, the Raptors are about to tank in 2013, so Jonas was our guy. He was, like, untradeable. We didn't trade him for Kawhi, or we didn't trade him for, like, James Harden. This is, like, back when he got drafted. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of sort of investment on Jonas, especially emotionally from a certain portion of the fan base, and it's hard for them to let go. But at the same time, if you look at sort of the way Jonas plays, um, he is, like... Enos Cantor with a uh, with more of a motor on defense, but the same lack of awareness. Um, and it's sort of just like, well, how do you play these sort of plotting bigs in the modern NBA? And you know, as a Grizzlies fan, you might find, you'll, you'll find this funny, but like a lot of Raptors fans have talked themselves into thinking that if you give Jonas the ball more, he'll just turn into Marcus Gasol randomly. Oh no! And I'm just like, <laughs> no, you have not seen Marcus Gasol, who was like a brilliant player, one of the smartest players in the league in terms of his positioning, his defense, his passing, his movement. And Jonas just has none of that. He kind of is just like very large and bumbling, works hard, but kind of crashes and accidentally does things. So the reason why, like, you know, his backups do really well, like Bebe has done really well, Bismack Biombo's done really well. Um, and now, and even before that, Amir Johnson's doing really well. And now Jakob Pertl. Um The reason for that is like, those players sort of play more in terms of what the Raptors want to do with the team, which is to like play a little bit faster, um, have a little bit more of a free flowing style of offense where, you know, you can make reads on the go, uh, depending on sort of if you're making the right passes. And those guys are just better at those things, pretty much better at the modern game than Jonas is. So that's why they always come in and look really nice. That's a, that's a good answer. That explains yeah, it. But I mean, look, Jonas is a good player. He really is a good player. If anyone wants to take Jonas from the Raptors, he's a good player. Give us a first round <laughs> pick. We're good. When you started that answer with there's a small faction or a little faction, I thought that was going to be the faction that disliked him. And it turned out that was the oh, faction that liked him. And I got kind of sad. You know, he gets a lot of love on the Raptors broadcast. So I think that that's a big influencing factor. And also, like, he's a good looking guy. He's, he's a jovial guy. Good character. Gets great quotes too, like kind of with the broken English quotes. Like they're always, they're always really terrible or really great. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's really he's. You know, there's a lot of fans for Jonas, unfortunately. 
so far this year, has Kyle Lowry taken a back seat to DeRozan, or is there some other reason that like Lowry's looked a little, I don't know, sluggish? Mm. I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure why Lowry has looked so sluggish. Um, I don't think he's playing so. Like Lowry's very effective when he plays all out. And I guess again, as a Grizzlies fan, there's a lot of connections between our two franchises. Oh yeah. Um, if you remember Kyle Lowry from like his early days when he was fighting with Mike Conley, like, my, like Kyle Lowry's a maniac when he plays. <laughs> yeah. Like he's literally an insane person, and like he has to either play sort of that like all out style to be successful um, or he's not really quite as successful because if he's not aggressive at like sub six foot, he's just not that good. But when he is aggressive, he's really good. And we saw a bit of that in the, in the Warriors game, or at least on defense. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Lowry has sort of been steadily taking more and more of a backseat to DeRozan. And the reason for that is because DeRozan's um, ball handling and sort of pick and roll initiating has become like much, much better over the years. Um so that naturally takes the ball out of Lowry's hands a little bit more. And it makes sense, too, because Lowry's a pretty good three-point shooter. I mean, last year was an elite three-point shooter. But, um, you know, you put Lowry off the ball. You got the Rosen creating, driving, and then kicking it out to Lowry. That makes a lot more sense than if Lowry's kicking it and then driving it to Lowry. Um, who, you know, sorry, kicking it and then, you know, kicking it out to the Rosen, who's yeah. not a good shooter. So, um, yeah, Lowry is taking a bit of a backseat. I'm not quite sure why he started the season so poorly in terms of shooting and stuff like that but i think it looks like his legs aren't fully under him i don't know i don't want to speculate it just doesn't look like he's like at the peak sort of um intensity that he normally plays with right now so i think maybe he's just playing himself into the season but um hopefully it's nothing long term because the raptors did give him a ton of money yeah it, it could be one of those he's one of those veterans who is used to the season starting in november and uh this early start, he's like, I'm not cutting my, I'm not cutting my vacation two weeks short. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, uh, so this team has, as you mentioned earlier, they kind of got rid of a bunch of their veteran role players last year, uh, like Patrick Patterson moving on, uh, Damari Carroll was traded, Corey Joseph was traded, uh, PJ Tucker gone, and, and and turned that over, like the second unit, over to to a younger group of players. Who among those younger group of players do you think is the most important to step up to be able to complement uh, Lowry and DeRozan and Ibaka? Um, I think the player that's closest to doing it is Norman Powell, who they gave a four-year, uh, $40 million extension to um, beyond this season. Um, he was certainly the guy that showed the most promise. Uh, he used to come in all the time for Demario Carroll and then sort of as a starter – in like 13 games as a starter last year, Powell was like 15 points a game, 40% from deep, 50% from the field, getting to the basket. Um, but uh, this year, Powell hasn't really established the chemistry with the starting lineup yet. Like the whole starting lineup looks kind of off, which I think is, you know, comes down to Lowry not playing at his best. But um, Powell was supposed to be that guy in terms of sort of uh, the next guy to take a big step for the team. But I think right now, based on the way they're playing, um, DeLon Wright is actually one of those guys that really needs to be important for them because like the Raptors did lose some ball handling in Corey Joseph and they also at the same time want to reduce Lowry's minutes because he's sort of taken a lot of uh, wear and tear throughout the season and he kind of expires by the time the playoffs comes around he's always you know hurt in some way by the time the playoffs come around so they want to reduce his minutes, so it's really imperative that DeLon Wright comes in and not only replaces Corey Joseph, but plays well enough with the bench that he's able to give Lowry some rest and, you know, with the bench, you know, keep those leads uh, or sort of, you know, at least keep it even. 
And so far, Wright's done that. Um, defensively, he's doing pretty much everything Corey Joseph did. Uh, on ball, pesky, six foot six, active arms, you know, good instincts. Um, but also in terms of playmaking, he's a he's, he's probably the best passer on the Raptors, just in terms of creativity and things like this. But he just can't really hit threes right now. He's a, he's almost like Marcus Smart, like a like a regularly tempered version of Marcus Smart right now. <laughs> So he needs to come out with the three pointer, and he's like, he was like 0 of four yesterday. He's their teachers leaving him wide open and stuff. But Delon Wright is kind of the most important guy, I think, off the bench for them right now. Gotcha. Did they have to trade Damari Carroll to be able to sign CJ Miles? Was that part? I can't remember. I know it was a salary related move. Mm, no, nah, not okay. really. They could have just signed and traded Corey Joseph to the the Pacers. I was just thinking that because uh, Damari Carroll looks incredible. In Brooklyn, he's like the scorned lover who uh, went, went back to the gym, got in shape. Now he looks amazing. And I'm watching him on the, on the nets like, oh, that guy's, that guy's really good now. Yeah. Um, I'm happy for Demari, man. I mean, he he had a really not a raw deal necessarily in Toronto, but just like he just like was perpetually injured, man. He played 26 games in his first year. He like got injured like nine games in the season then sort of take, took time off, then tried to come back without surgery. It was like the Chandler Parsons thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he wasn't really liked. And then sort of when the Raptors needed him to produce, uh, he wasn't really there, I, either offensively or defensively. So there was, a, like, there was a lot of hurt feelings and stuff like that in terms of just like, uh, it's disappointing that we paid. I think that's actually the biggest uh, free agent the Raptors have ever signed, like in terms of money. Like $60 million is the most they've given anybody. Who they're not just re-signing? Okay, yeah. Um, so again, this is the Chandler Parsons thing. Um, <laughs> who's who's second place? Do you I know, Hito Turkoglu is second. That's incredible. I think that's like the, a five-year, fifty-something million dollar. That's deal. like the Grizzlies, where I think it's one Parsons, two mm-hmm. Darko Milicic. I'm pretty wow. sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's almost <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, like they're re-signed guys like that to bigger contracts, but it's hard to just convince a new guy to just come to Toronto. Um, which is weird. Toronto is a great city. It's actually not even that cold right now. It's like 15 degrees outside. Or there you go. 50, it's like what, 50, 50 degrees what? Fahrenheit. Nine, 60? nine times five, one thirty-five divided by five is like thirty-eight plus. It's like it's like seventy, right? Yeah, yeah, it's nice. I'm, Someone I'm check my math. That was uh, nerve-wracking. Um, hey, all right, so so two more questions. Mm-hmm. What is the best five-man lineup or closing lineup for the Raptors? Um. It's tough. I think on paper, if you want to make up a lead, you got Ibaka at five, um, CJ Miles playing a power forward, um, Norm Powell as the three, DeRozan at two, and Kyle Lowry at one. That's probably the best offensive lineup. You got three guys that can really drive the basketball in that scenario. And then uh, their three best shooters on the floor. Um, defensively, that's a bit small. More than a bit small, actually. But, you know, it, you got to make some compromises, I guess. And then if you want to sort of put out the best defensive lineup, um, yeah, you probably put Ibaka at five again. Um, you, you maybe put Jakaproto out there, who Jakaproto has just like really come on strong. Maybe you put him at five and Ibaka at four. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, same thing, like Miles, DeRozan, and Lowry. So, like, depends on what you need. But, yeah, there's not a great in-between solution. Like, that's what P.J. Tucker was. Like, he was both able to play small and hit threes while also defending uh, and being physical. And the Raptors really wanted P.J. to come back. They offered him a bigger contract than what Houston gave them. But, you know, P.J. wanted the chance to uh, 
to lose to the Warriors. So he did that. <laughs> Variety is the spice of life. You don't want to yeah. lose to the Cavs. Uh, all right, exactly. last last question. Uh, who is your all-time favorite Raptor? Um, Amir Johnson. Oh, that's a great answer. Yeah. I was actually looking for Keon Clark, but Amir Johnson, uh, okay. that's fine. That's fine. You're, you might be a little young for Keon Clark. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Um, no, Amir Johnson was, was really great, man. He's really beloved. Like, he really he was one of the first players to really, truly embrace the city of Toronto as well. Like, he became really good friends with Drake. He, like, bought a whole bunch of copies of Nothing Was the Same when he came out and, like, handed them out in, like, the busiest corner of the uh, of the city just to people randomly and shot a lot of love to the city. Still does. Um, so, yeah, shout out to Amir Johnson. That's a great answer. I do like that guy. And by the way, 15 degrees Celsius, it's at 60 Fahrenheit, not 70. I, I think I, car- I, I carried it at a one or something when I was doing that in my head. Anyway, it's William. It was like 70. <laughs> William, thanks so much for taking time for me to come on. Uh, tell people where they can read your stuff or hear you and follow you online. Sure. Um, you can read my general NBA work at The Score. Um, it's an app. Download the app. It's free. Um, it, it's It's better than ESPN and cbs or yahoo or whatever you're using trust me it's, it's better just try it um and it's free um in terms of my podcasting i do a lot of podcasting for raptors republic and also for the defeated podcast raptors Republic, obviously it's just raptors and defeated podcast is kind of a general show um like we had an episode where we just talked about gabby union and Dwayne wade what they're doing in the bedroom um hey now <laughs> yeah um and then also i also write sort of game recast for the Raptors um, pretty much after every game. You can find those basically on Twitter uh, as my pinned tweet. It's like a, a screenshot of a, a list. So um, they're called 10 things. Yeah. Uh, and any NBA fan, not just Raptors fans, those are actually are really cool. Uh, William writes out the 10 things about each game, little observations. It's very, very informative. Well, William, thanks again. And I look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to William. That was a very fun conversation. Good talk about the Toronto Raptors. Grizzlies North, if you will. We ain't winning anything, but hey, we're going to be pretty good. If you want to support our program, do that at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. You can like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at fastbreakbreak. All right. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being G&G. Fair break, break, man. You understand?